Yo, what's going on, everybody? I'm Armand Lee, and this is the Quarterly Report. Thank you so much for listening again this week. Big show coming up for you over the next 40 or 50 minutes. I'm going to be joined by mock draft guru and friend of the show, Ben Standick. We'll break down the upcoming NFL draft, as well as look a little bit at the NBA playoffs. And speaking of the playoffs, I'm going to let you know, despite an amazing first round thus far, what has gotten under my skin concerning the postseason. And no, it has nothing to do with on-the-court play. But that's all coming up. Let's get going. Starting off strong with the first quarter. Now, if you've listened to the show since the beginning or you know me, and by the way, if you haven't, make sure you go to iTunes and subscribe. All you have to do is search quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. You search it, click the show and subscribe, and you'll be able to listen to all the shows since the beginning. But if you know me or if you've listened to the show, you know that I'm a diehard boxing fan. So it kind of pains me you know, to see where the sport is from a national standpoint. And I'll give you an example, even locally. And I'll give you a perfect example. About a month ago or so, um, I told you about Vasily Lomachenko, and he had a fight right outside Washington, D.C. Now, Washington, D.C. is an area that's rich in boxing history. Uh, I mean, it's the home of Sugar Ray Leonard, for goodness sakes. Um, but despite that, And during the fight, this is going on during Masters weekend, um, opening week of the baseball season, the NBA playoffs, I believe, were going on. But despite all of that, that Saturday in Washington, D.C., the Lomachenko fight was the number one or number two trending topic that evening. Now, you know, Twitter and any type of rating system is tricky because there is no perfect system to evaluate all of what people are watching or interested in. However, you can't dismiss that because Twitter actually has something developed to monitor, right? There is a mechanism with Twitter that monitors what people are actually talking about or discussing or interested in. So you can't dismiss that. So in Washington, D.C., an area that's rich in boxing history, despite the fact that This guy was widely considered, especially after his performance, by national personalities, people who are respected, Max Kellerman, Bernard Hopkins, Jim Lampley. He was kind of crowned the best boxer of the world that night in D.C. with it being the number one or number two trending topic in this area. It wasn't covered at all. You know, we've got two sports radio stations here locally. There's a cable, a 24-7 cable sports network. And you've got all your local over-the-air stations as well who have sports broadcasts. And it wasn't touched on. Now, as a boxing fan, that kind of bothered me. I was like, yo, Lomachenko, this is a big moment. And he's an exciting fighter. And it got me thinking about Floyd Mayweather and how he's been a gift and a curse to the sport of boxing. Let's dive in a little bit deeper, right? So there have been players or athletes or fighters, whatever you want to call it, who've transcended their sport, meaning they've become bigger than the sport that they play. And oftentimes, that's a good thing. Boxing isn't a stranger to this. Muhammad Ali, God bless the dead, 
he was absolutely bigger than the sport of boxing. You know, he was charismatic. He was controversial, sharp. You know what I'm saying? He was a clean guy. So, you know, people like to just to watch him. And he was a showman. But in addition to all those things, when you watch the Muhammad Ali fight, whether you were hoping that he won or you wanted to see someone knock him out, he had an exciting fighting style. So when you watched him, not only was he bigger than boxing, bigger than the sport, he helped propel his sport because he was such a, a fun fighter, both in and out of the ring. But it has happened more recently with Tiger Woods, right? Tiger Woods, and I don't even think that he wanted to be. In fact, I'm quite sure he didn't want to be. Tiger Woods was a cultural icon. You know what I mean? And again, he didn't want it, but he was. So that brought a, a certain level of passion to him. John Feinstein always says there were two types of people. There were box, I'm sorry, there were golf fans and then there were Tiger fans. So Tiger brought, you know, record level of eyeballs to his sport. And he was a dramatic, he was a showman too. You know, he read, he wore the red on Sundays, the fist pump. He brought a certain level of excitement, uh, a fresh, a freshness to his sport. And he was exciting. You know, whether you were a golf fan or not, watching Tiger kind of it made it fun and brought a certain level of kind of excitement to the sport that if you aren't already a fan, you know, you weren't even privy to. Now we get to Floyd, you know, you know, so Floyd has been the latest of like the guy of boxing. You know what I mean? Whether it was Ray Leonard the Hitman, Hearns, you know what I mean, Tyson, Purnell, Roy, De La Hoya, and, you know, Floyd kind of took the mantle. But unlike Tiger and Muhammad Ali, guys who transcended their sports because they were showmen, but also because their brand of sport, the type of sport they played was exciting, Floyd, especially once he moved up in weight, his fighting style wasn't exciting to the casual fan. Now, I'm a diehard, so I appreciate watching Floyd fight and his defensive style and kind of his mastery of the ring. I liken it a lot to, you go back eight years ago or so, when the Ravens and the Steelers used to always play in the playoffs, it seemed. And they were like rugged 17, 13 games, 10, 13 games, where there wasn't a lot of scoring. But it was so intense each moment, it felt like it mattered. It was a heightened sense of urgency because scoring wasn't at a premium that I enjoyed it. Now, I wouldn't want to watch Steelers Ravens every weekend, but those three times a year, once in the playoffs that they played each other, it was exciting in my in my point of view and a lot of football fans point of view. And I liken that to Floyd. Right. It's not. Aesthetically pleasing if you're not a, a boxing fan because he's not punching his output isn't a lot and he's not knocking out But his personality his persona was so large It became bigger than the sport of boxing to a point where people started to feel Floyd represented boxing good and bad You know what I mean? Like there are plenty of reasons to think Floyd is an asshole outside of the ring and I agree with you I'm not going to defend him He's done some deplorable things. 
But he doesn't represent all of boxing, despite the fact that he was the face of the sport. So what happened was Floyd had this kind of slow, almost boring style of fighting if you're a casual fan. And people started to think that that's what was a representation of the entire sport. And it was completely to the contrary, right? Boxing now has is so rich with young, aggressive, exciting fighters that people just don't even know anything about them because the sport spent so much energy, so much time, right, backing Floyd that they did a, a disservice to their young, exciting fighters. So Floyd was the, the A-side, right? No doubt, number one fighter. And his style isn't exciting. But Gennady Golovkin, who's more exciting than him? But so many people don't know about him, right? Because he hasn't been pushed like Floyd did. And to Floyd's credit, he pushed himself, right? His marketing genius was that he put himself in those 24-7s. He knew how to work the camera and the media to get the attention, right? So many people buy Floyd fights not to see him win, but to see him get knocked out, even though you know it's not going to happen. But Floyd takes the attention of, from away from Golovkin, Kovalev, Keith Thurman, right? Leo Santa Cruz, Lomachenko, Adonis Stevenson. Like, it's so many rich, exciting, young fighters who are, who give you the knockouts, who give you the big shot, the big blows that everyone wants to see. But this is where we get to the gift and the curse. Floyd brought attention to the sport because of him. But the sport spent so much time and energy promoting Floyd or letting Floyd take the mantle because, again, he's the cash cow, that they did a disservice in marketing their young lions. So here we are last weekend. Sean Porter had an amazing fight with Andre Berto. Sean Porter is an amazing fighter, had a, an impressive showing, but no one's talking about it. This upcoming weekend, a huge heavyweight showdown between Klitschko and a young lion, Anthony Joshua. But no one's talking about it because even though he's been retired for over a year now, Floyd Mayweather's shadow still looms so large over the sport. They can't even seem to break away from it. And as a boxing fan, it kind of it's a blower because, you you know, I've had friends who aren't boxing fans come up over and invite him over to watch a Golovkin fight. And they're amazed because this guy is an animal. You know, same with Santa Cruz. I mean, Max Kellerman, I believe it was. And this is going back 15 years ago. He had a really great kind of uh, point about boxing. He was saying, imagine you're walking, I guess, in like some type of science lab with all these rooms or whatever. And in one room, you pass Michael Jordan and he's playing one-on-one -on -one with someone. And you may stop and watch, but you'll keep on going. And then maybe there's, you know, Miguel Cabrera facing off against Madison Bumgarner. And you're watching to see, you know, who gets the best of whom. And that may keep your attention as well. But you keep on moving. And you see Tom Brady, you know, at the line of scrimmage and seeing him make a pass or whatever for a touchdown. And all these things are interesting, right? It will keep your attention at some point. But if at that next room you see... Mike Tyson fighting someone, you will stay at that room longer than any of the other rooms because just 
for whatever reason in the human condition, we are just attracted to fighting and violence. I don't know why. I'm not trying to make a larger point here. But ask yourself this question, because I, I remember when the first time I heard him say it, and I was like, yo, that's brilliant. Michael Jordan can be playing one-on-one -on -one against LeBron James, let's say. Both of them in their prime. Let's say we had the capability to put LeBron James and Michael Jordan in their primes playing one-on-one. -on -one. You'd be interested. You'd watch. And then let's say you had Tom Brady going up against, uh, you know, the 80s Bears defense, right? The, the, the top offense of all time versus arguably the top defense of all time. And you may watch. You, you actually would. And then you just keep on going down, line door by door, room by room against like the best of the best. And then you come up to Mike Tyson in his prime fighting Muhammad Ali in his prime. If you tell me you would watch anything longer than watching that hypothetical fight, you're lying to yourself. And that's the thing about boxing. Like we know there's something in us that wants to watch it. But over the years, the sport has done such a piss poor job at developing and making people realize that, yo, this is fun. This is exciting. But everyone still, I think a majority of people still view boxing as a boring sport. And that's in large part because of the last face of the sport, Floyd Mayweather. I'm Armand Lee, and that was quarter number one. This is the quarterly report. Make sure you follow me on Twitter. I'm at Armand, A-R-M-O-N underscore Lee, L-E-E. Also, follow the show at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E Show. One quarter is down. We got three more to go. And next up, we're stepping on the gridiron for a huge week with the NFL Draft. I welcome in my guest, Mock Draft Guru, Ben Standing. Second quarter. I'm joined now by a friend of the show and one of the hardest working men in sports, Mock draft guru and head of Breaking Burgundy blog, Ben Standig. Ben, what's going on, buddy? I am rocking and rolling and whatnot, Mr. Lee. How about yourself? Doing well, Ben. Doing well. Super excited about the NFL draft. Now, for those of you who don't know, this podcast comes out each and every Thursday. So this Thursday, if you're listening, we are hours away from the NFL draft. And again, Ben Standing is a mock draft guru, and I don't use the term guru lightly. Over the past five years, Ben has been ranked as a top three mock drafter nationally, meaning his accuracy is better than all, essentially all mockers other than two others. So Ben is, when I say a guru, he literally is, and odds are he's better than anyone that you're following for your mock. So, you know. Just keep that in mind. So, Ben, I got a few questions for you. Um, it seems like every year there's a consensus about who will be taking number one. And then about a week or so before the draft, a name kind of just skyrockets to kind of rival who everyone had already thought would be the first overall pick. And this year, Mitchell Trubisky is that guy. So I'm curious, when you're making your mocks, how do you navigate through all the smoke screens? that are coming out and two where do you foresee Trubisky going Thursday evening yeah so it's definitely di difficult to me and I I, I I talked to some agents here and there about a few things not 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 maybe so much about the draft but about other when I cover the Redskins or the Wizards or other things and you know some definitely have an agenda to push and that's part of what's out there and uh, you know reporters 
hey, look, if you give somebody uh, some information and it seems reasonable, you're going to put it out there, and then that starts the conversation about this, that, or the other. The, the Trubisky one, I mean, it's not a big stretch. I mean, when I started looking at the mo- doing mock drafts, you know, early and you know, right after the college football season ended, uh, and he sort of emerged along with Deshaun Watson as maybe the best quarterback, it seemed reasonable that one of them would go to San Francisco to, with the second pick, right? I mean, San Francisco has no quarterback. Right. Um, they, they definitely need one. But then when the whole Kirk Cousins conversation started coming up and it seemed like a lock that he would end up there one way or the other, if not this year or next year, it's sort of like, well, so if that's the case, why is San Francisco going to spend the number two pick on a quarterback? Um, they could absolutely take a quarterback. It wouldn't stun me. From everything that everybody says, who, who, all the guys who are the real you know, film nuts, I, I, I don't pretend to study you know, eight, eight game tapes on Mitch Trubisky the way like Mel Kiper is or something. So I'm not going to – but everybody seems to say none of these quarterbacks are worth being picked that high. So if San Francisco feels compelled to take a quarterback, well, then that, 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 that seems like that would make sense. But if they're compelled to say, look, we know we're going to stink this year, maybe we wait on Kirk Cousins even if we don't. We don't, need to, we don't need to rush and take the number two pick on a quarterback. We need better play. So for me at this point, I'm not buying Mitch Trubisky. Uh, there, I, I mean, it just doesn't make that much sense for a team that, like going to stick. I mean, by the way, the thing I hate that teams do is when they take a quarterback that early on a bad team and throw him in there. The odds of that guy succeeding, nothing, nothing is 100. percent But the odds of that guy succeeding to me would go down a lot. You're putting him into a terrible situation. San Fran has bad receivers that they're just not a good team, and now you're going to make this quarterback have to learn on the fly. And everybody says he's a development guy, so. I would almost hope for Trubisky's sake and for Sam Fran's sake, they indeed don't go that way. Um, I think to answer your other question, I think I have Trubisky going 12 to Cleveland. Um, another team that needs a quarterback that at some point somebody's taking them in the first round. So I, I dropped, I went there with Cleveland. Since Cleveland has two first round picks, it seems like they could maybe justify more taking a quarterback with that second one. Once again, I'm joined by my guy, Ben Standick, NFL draft guru, but he writes about the NFL and specifically the Burgundy and Gold all the time. So you're going to want to follow him at Breaking Burgundy for all your Washington news and updates, as well as other NFL stuff. He's also going to be contributing to CSN Mid-Atlantic during the NFL draft. And, you know, like I said, he's the hard working man in sports for you hoop heads out there, especially Wizards fans, he's got a daily podcast. You want to subscribe on iTunes. It's called Locked On Wizards. He breaks down the Wizards each and every day. Really cool content. All right, Ben, back to the NFL draft, however. Um, Joe Mixon, obviously, was getting a lot of attention for all the wrong reasons. You know, we know about his um, awful uh, domestic violence situation. Um, however, on the field, apparently he was wowing everyone with um, all of his workouts. So what I want to know is where do you foresee him being drafted, which round, and do you have a team that you think would be a good fit considering there will be, and rightfully so, a large backlash wherever he is drafted? So, yeah, so if it was just based on talent, it seems like first round would be a would, would be a would be a likely spot for him. Um, you know, personally, I'm not a big fan of taking running back in round one. I mean, there's some guys who, you know, like Ezekiel Elliott last year, you know, are just legitimately talented players, and um, you know, they're worthy of first round pick. But sort of like as a blanket statement for me, just feels like you can find running back 
um, all over the place. Mid-round, and the Redskins leading rusher last year was an undrafted rookie. Right. So, for, for me, if I said, I, I, you know, he didn't go in round one, that's not necessarily a that, – that wouldn't necessarily be the – because of the off-the-field stuff. That's the same for running back. I, I wouldn't necessarily go round one. But all that said, it does seem like, if you believe all the, the hype, that he would go in round one, but he's got this, all, all his off-the-field baggage uh, from incidents he was involved in, uh, assaults, and, 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 and so on. Some teams are definitely going to run away from that. I mean, look, right. you have to view it like it's, it's – you know, people forget sometimes that sports is a business. You're going to take that first-round pick. You're going to put them out in front of the media and the cameras, you know, one day after you draft them, and you're going to parade this guy out and say, hey, this is us. Right. Okay. Well, that, you know, and I'm not, I believe in second chances and all that, but some people don't don't give you that. And, you know, so I think that some teams are going to push that away. And some teams, I guess, find it morally, morally objectionable to the point that they wouldn't even consider taking the guy. Um, I just left Redskins Park. We had a chance to uh, have a press conference with Scott Campbell, who's their director of college scouting. Obviously, the Redskins are at a GM at the moment. So he he uh, he filled in, and he was asked about Mixon. He, he wouldn't uh, say whether Mixon was on their board or not. He, he wouldn't say that about any player for strategic purposes. And he right. says that character is a very important factor. And um, so for me, I have Mixon going around to – I had him going to Oakland, which is sort of late in round two. Now, I, I did that partly because I also, in a mock uh, a, a mock draft or version I did like one or two ago, I had him going in the first round to Oakland. But then the Marshawn Lynch stuff started happening. I was like, well, I don't know, maybe he's going to be there. So I dropped him out of round two, uh, partly to, for my own mock draft uh, grading purposes, but also because it is sort of hard to see a team round one saying, this is the guy. But if they do, you know, what you, all you can hope for on some level for, for, for him and them is they are prepared to deal. If you're not prepared to deal and you just throw him to the wolves, so to speak, then I think it's gonna be, it could, could cause a lot of problems all the way around. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see exactly where he goes, both where in the draft and location, because whichever franchise does draft mixing, they're going to have to deal with a lot of baggage and a lot of backlash, and rightfully so. So that's something to keep an eye on. Again, I'm joined now by my guy, Ben Standick. Uh, he is a mock draft guru. So this weekend when you're watching the draft, make sure you keep up to date with where Ben has his mocks. Follow him at Breaking Burgundy. And he'll be contributing on CSN Mid-Atlantic. So you're going to want to stay up to date with his latest mocks. Now, again, like I said, you are head of Breaking Burgundy. Uh, so you follow the burgundy and gold. A lot of options for Washington on Thursday. Their defense was awful last season. So most would think that they would address their defense with their first round pick. Is there any way you foresee Washington doing anything other than addressing their defensive needs? And who exactly do you have Washington taking with their first round pick? Uh, well, at first, let me just say, when it comes to these mock drafts, no matter who is considered good, it's bad, or whatever, it's like it's like how a baseball pitter, you know, you get out seven out of ten times, but batting three hundred is considered good. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so, so you know, it's, it's always a, it's always a crapshoot. And honestly, I think the Redskins may be the biggest crapshoot on the board. I mean, typically with teams, you know, it's always hard to say a specific player, but typically with some teams, you know, if you, if you look at the Dallas Cowboys. It seems pretty clear. They need secondary help badly, and they need a pass rusher. I'd be surprised 
again, you never know who's on the board, but I'd be surprised if they didn't if they weren't thinking that, that those are the two areas we we need. With regards to say the Redskins, I mean literally I could justify them taking every single offensive and defensive position on the board. Some of that is based on need for twenty seventeen. Some of that is based on who who's a free agent next year. Some of that's based on how the draft class is fall, falls down. I mean they they need defensive line I think most of all. But when you look at seventeen, it just doesn't fit. The, the they're just not they're just there may not be like a single like you know three four defensive ends or nose tackle type pick between fifteen and thirty five. So uh, so that's not great for them. And then but this is also like a really deep class at cornerback. The Redskins could technically justify one. Yes, they have Josh Norman, but Rashawn Breland was up and down last year, and he's a free agent after after this year. And this is considered, like I said, a really good class. Uh, some people want to. Some people are, are saying pass rusher is the way to go, and there's some value, some truth to that. Trent Murphy suspended the first four games. No idea if Junior Gallette's ever going to contribute for them after missing two years of injuries, and Preston Smith is coming off a down year. So I, I guess those are probably the three, or you know, the the, the the defensive line, the pass rush, the secondary sort of seem like the areas you can go, but like there's a guard. At 17, that I think would make some sense. Um, I, right now, though, I don't have any of that. I have Alabama inside linebacker Reuben Foster, who's another wild card in this draft. He's been falling down because of some off-the-field issues and some other concerns. But like a month ago, three months ago, if you had said Reuben Foster would be there at 17, what would the Redskins do? I'm like, well, I think they'd run up that draft card as soon as possible. Exactly. He's the type of inside defense player that they really need that they don't have. So the question becomes, you know, well, how do they judge his character issues, his his concerns? Uh, do they outweigh the the talent? And guys like Mike Mayock think Foster is a top-ten guy. So as of the time where you and I are talking right today, I've got Foster. If you ask me in an hour, I may have changed it six times. But right now, I've got Ruben Foster at 17. Again, I'm joined now by friend of the show and NFL mock draft guru, Ben Standig. You're going to want to make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Ben Standig, S-T-A-N-D-I-G. He also is the head of the Locked On Wizards podcast. He does a lot of dope stuff for the Washington Wizards, and they're in the playoffs. Um, So it wouldn't be right, Ben, if you and I got together and didn't at least have one NBA question. So I'm going to leave you with this big picture. Um, it's been an amazing first round thus far, amazing start to the playoffs. But ultimately, before this season, everyone thought it would be Cleveland and Golden State for a third time. There has never been in the history of the NBA the same two teams play each other in the finals for three consecutive years. So do you think history is made this year? Do we get a third Cleveland versus Golden State Finals, or does some other team break up the trilogy? You know, it's weird. Like, it, it's. I, I really wish I could just say the answer would be yes. I, I, I don't. I don't like parity in sports. I, I think it's bad. I think you'd like. I like to have a target. I like to know like what's who's considered the best. How do you aim for them? I think if you if you beat a team that's considered the best, it, it validates what you did a lot more than just if ever, like in, sort of like in the NFL every year, it's a complete crapshoot. Did the Atlanta Falcons, were they really so great this year? Or is it just somebody had to, somebody had to get there because everybody's sort of just, eh. The right. NBA sort of has the opposite problem, right? I mean, you got these two teams that it's just like, man, can anybody beat them? 
you know, to go with Golden State, I mean, they're clearly the best team at the, you know, right now. And, I, you know, I, I, I've, I've been thinking Houston gets to the, to the conference finals and plays them. And, you know, James Harden might be the MVP, and, you know, they've got a lot of guys who can score. But, you know, it's hard to look at them and go, yeah, they're definitely taking down Golden State. I just don't know if I see that. On the Cleveland side, you know, two weeks ago, boy, Cleveland's reeling. Here come the Celtics. Watch out for the Wizards, and Toronto is hot. <laughs> and now, you know, now the Celtics went down 0-2. That fortunate that Rajon Rondo got hurt, and, you know, at the, at the time we're talking, you know, that, that's even to ask Toronto – was getting smoked by Giannis, and now they've at least it's, you know they've come back. And the Wizards went up 2-0, and then they, you know they, they came back. So you know it's hard to bet against LeBron. I would love to see somebody take him down, just because it would be a little more interesting to see that happen. Right. But, but at the end of the day, it's hard to bet against Golden State and Cleveland. I just don't see another team that has one of those guys that can you can say, "Yep, he's definitely going to get it done." I mean, James Harden, like I said, might be the MVP, but Golden State's got like four dudes. Like James Harden. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that would be a lot. I think that'd be the most fun series. I mean, I love Kawhi Leonard, but I, the Spurs. I mean, it's just not working anymore. I mean, they they they're just, you know, I don't even know how they got all the wins they got this year. When you really look at that 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 uh, roster, I mean, I do. It's because Popovich is awesome and. That, that system is sort of still drafting off of what they've always done. I'll be really curious to see by next year. I have a feeling they might have a drop-off. But um, I just don't see how they can compete with Golden State, and, and that's why I also think Houston takes them that if they, if they can get that far. Ben, thank you so much for joining me. Again, make sure you keep up to date with all of his picks throughout the NFL draft. You can follow him at Ben Standick on Twitter. Again, he's the head of Breaking Burgundy and Locked On Wizards podcast, so he's doing a lot all throughout this exciting time of the year. So, Ben, thank you again, and uh, I'd like to talk to you real soon. Honored to be on here, and uh, one of these times we have to do one of these face-to-face, because I think face-to-face will yell at each other more. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no doubt. All right, so you heard the horn, so you know halftime is around the corner. Once again, I want to thank my guy, Ben Standig. Remember, I taped that interview with him on Monday, so if some of what he just said doesn't kind of jive with what actually happens on Thursday. Don't get mad. Don't be like, oh, I thought he was supposed to be some type of guru. Go to his Twitter page and see all the latest updates on his mock draft. Again, that was taped on Monday, so things can change. All right, enough about that. Two quarters are in the books, but before we get to the third quarter, if you're like me, you may be in awe of the success of the Fast and Furious franchise. A few weeks ago, they opened up to the largest opening weekend ever, which makes no sense considering just how ridiculous the entire film franchise is. I love the movies, but they're crazy, right? The action sequences, the plots, the number of people who die and come back to life, it's all crazy. But being the guy that I am, it started to get me thinking. If a great trailer and previews for Fast and Furious can make Vin Diesel a viable box office star, then maybe the same rules apply for my favorite team. Take a listen. In a world where you need drive to live life a quarter mile at a time, One team is stuck going in reverse. 
The New York Knicks are an atrocity. An organization so poorly run that it will leave you tongue-tied. And just when you think you found their savior, uh, you realize you're nowhere near rock bottom. I don't even know what to say to you right now. Critics are saying, I think people need to protest outside the streets of Madison Square Garden. I'm so damn disgusted that this damn Phil Jackson is still in New York City. Coming to a basketball court near you, Carmelo Anthony, James Dolan, and Phil Jackson star in The Trash and the Furious. That's right, The Trash and the Furious. I don't know if there's a better title that would describe the relationship between the Knicks and us fans better than The Trash, which is clearly the team, and The Furious, which we are at the product that they've been putting out over the last 16 years. So here's hoping that that trailer can do what Fast and Furious trailers has done to Vin Diesel's career. I mean, it's worth the shot. All right, that's halftime, but we got two quarters left. So without further ado, let's get it going with our third topic this week. Earlier in the show, my guest this week, Ben Stanley, mentioned something that I think most sports observers in this country just kind of take as gospel. And that's that the NFL is filled with parody. I, for one, don't believe so. In fact, I've often called that the greatest lie the devil ever told. But that narrative that the NFL is filled with competitive balance and that every team has a chance to win has just grown over the years to the point that I decided I needed to to at least argue my side of the case to you all who are listening now does the NFL have more competitive balance than the NBA absolutely the NBA has zero absolutely zero parity each year There are three teams, maybe four if you squint hard enough, who have any type of shot at winning a championship. But that's not something that's new. The entire history of the NBA has been dominated by essentially two franchises, the Los Angeles Lakers and the Boston Celtics. And here and there, there'll be other teams who get their hand full of championships, whether it's the Bulls, or the Spurs, or the Miami Heat, or what have you. But ultimately, every generation, there are three guys who do all of the winning. In the 60s, you know, it was the Celtics winning everything. A little bit of competitive balance in the 70s. In the 80s, obviously, it was the Lakers and the Celtics. The 90s, it was all Bulls with a brief spurt of the Rockets in, in the middle. 2000s, it was the Lakers and the Spurs, and now it's either Golden State or whatever team LeBron's on. And that's kind of the history of the NBA real quick. There isn't any parity in the NBA. But if we are to believe that there is zero parity in the NBA, there is absolutely no competitive balance in the NBA, which, by the way, I don't even think is a bad thing, right? I live right outside D.C., If the Wizards go to the Eastern Conference Championships, they're not winning a title. But 
that's absolutely considered a successful season. And it should be. The Utah Jazz. If the Utah Jazz go to the second round and are competitive against the Golden State Warriors, that's a successful season. Like, Rome hasn't isn't built in a day. So I don't think that you need to win a championship to feel you were successful in the NBA or really in any league, right? There's context to this. But if we're to believe that the NBA has zero parity, then football can't be looked upon as being like the gold standard in which every sport league should achieve to be in terms of parity, right? Hockey and baseball have far more parity than football. But again, if we're going to stick with the concept that the NFL is the king when it comes to competitive balance, someone's going to have to do some explaining for me, right? I'll throw some numbers at you. Since the year 2000, the NBA has crowned seven champions. <laughs> now, again, that's not a lot by any stretch, right? In fact, it's pretty bad. But if on the spectrum of parity and competitive balance, if the NBA is a zero with seven championships, seven different champions since the year 2000, then how is the NFL the gold standard with only 11 champions in that same time frame? Again, the NBA with zero competitive balance has four fewer champions since this year since the year 2000 than the NFL does and that's with the NFL having two more teams right the National Football League has 32 teams the NBA only has 30 so you should have more turnover in terms of champions when you have more teams yet over the same time frame it's a 14 difference uh, now, look, I'm not an accountant, but that math's not adding up. But let's say that sample size is too small for you. Let's go back to 1990. 1990. Again, the NBA, I will not argue, zero competitive balance. There are three, maybe four teams every year who have a chance at winning a championship. So since 1990, there have only been 10 different NBA champions. But the NFL, the king of competitive balance, the king of parity, since 1990, they've only had 14 champions. Again, that 14 difference is consistent. If you believe that that's a competitive balance, then we got to really sit down and discuss some things, right? Because if the NFL... Now, the NFL does, I will give them credit, there are a lot of teams who can go from worst to first in their respective divisions. But those teams often host a wild card game and lose. You know, so the team who goes from worst to first, very rarely do they have a long postseason run. And how can you be a team or a league that prides itself on its parity when you've got teams like the Buffalo Bills, the Buffalo Bills haven't made the playoffs since January 1st, 2000. You want to know how I know? Because I was working at Hollywood Video during the Music City Miracle, watching it in disbelief. That was it. That's the last time 
I was in high school the last time the Buffalo Bills were in the playoffs. Look at the Cleveland Browns. When was the last time they won a playoff game? The Detroit Lions. When was the last time they won a playoff game? So this idea of competitive balance when it comes to the NFL is a myth. Again, if the bar is just being better than the NBA, then yeah, they they meet that. But th that can't be the bar because basketball has zero and they pull no punches. The NBA doesn't try to pretend. They don't try to sell hopes and dreams about, hey, man, you can win the championship this year. Next year, guess what? Orlando Magic, you guys can be the next Golden State Warriors. No one feels that way. But in football, it's dangerous because everyone feels that they can be the next New England Patriots. And why that's so problematic is because you get teams like the Minnesota Vikings trading a first-round pick for Sam Bradford. Not because Sam Bradford is some game-changing quarterback. Not because Sam Bradford was the missing piece to making the Minnesota Vikings a championship contender, but because the Vikings, they, they convinced themselves. They didn't have enough self-awareness to know, you know what? What happened to Bridgewater was awful, but we can use this as a reboot and hopefully find someone right better get better weapons for our offense get a better offensive line like just reboot the whole thing like our defense is good not great but good enough that with a few more pieces some young talent we will be a potentially dangerous team in a few years you know the texans two years ago we all remember the the big contract to brock osweiler they were feeling themselves. They're like, you know what? We're one quarterback away. And in reality, they were one quarterback away. Unfortunately, they swung to maybe one of the worst free agent signings ever. So when you don't have that proper self-assessment, when you don't have an idea where you are, you end up making mistakes. You end up signing Brock Osweiler. And all these mistakes can be attributed to thinking that you're one move away from a championship. And when history and history tells us in football, you're not. You're not. There are 11 champions, 11 Super Bowl champions in the NFL since the year 2000. Four more than the NBA. So the next time you think that your team is really close and the next time you feel that you can go first, Oh, from worst to first, pump the brakes, you know, take a second and just think. When was the last time that actually happened where a team went from worst to first and didn't just make the playoffs, but had a long run? Don't always buy what everybody's selling, because when it comes to the NFL and parity, the National Football League is only selling you. I'm Armand Lee. Thank you so much for listening to the Quarterly Report. Make sure you follow me on Twitter. I'm at Armand, A-R-M-O-N underscore Lee, L-E-E. -E. Also, while you're at it, follow the show. We're at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E show. One last quarter 
for this week. And you know what? I'm taking the gloves off. Let's go. The NBA playoffs thus far, they've been so amazing, right? And I feel like as a fan of the NBA, we deserve this. You know what I mean? The season was great. And thus far, the first round of the playoffs have been just as amazing. And when you think about it, there was a little bit worried because last year, the playoffs, with the exception of the finals and the Western Conference finals, they weren't really that entertaining. You know what I mean? So because we know Golden State is so much better than every other team, there was a little bit of caution, some trepidation about just how good, just how exciting these playoffs would be. So thus far, the on-court play I've been so impressed and I've loved every second of it. However, there has been one thing about the playoffs that has gotten under my skin and it took me about a week to two weeks to really just kind of gather myself and my thoughts so I can express it to you. And it has everything to do with cultural appropriation. You know, I know a lot of people when you hear that, some people get uncomfortable anytime you deal with race and I get that, but you know what, this is my show. And this is something that has meant something to me. And let me give you exactly what I'm talking about. A few weeks ago, you know, Kendrick Lamar, he dropped his new album, Damn. And I cautioned everybody, you know, I'm a fan of Kendrick, but, you know, let's be cool. Let's just chill before we start calling everything a classic. Now, that doesn't mean you can't enjoy it and say how much you love it. But that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the number of times I have seen memes online, on Twitter, with sit down, be humble, or damn, with a dunk in the same kind of uh, shot as Kendrick's album cover looks. And, you know, I, I, I got I to be honest with you, I felt some type of way because it happened so many times. Like, the first weekend of the playoffs, every time there was a big play or after every game, it was sit down, be humble. And it wasn't just from just random people that I follow. This was from national blogs, uh, from multiple networks. Hell, some actual franchises would tweet out memes that was like, sit down, be humble. And I'm thinking, yo, what do we, we, we got to, we got to chill real quick. You know what I mean? Because that hit me kind of at the core. Cause I wish I remember which article it was. I want to say it was from the wall street journal, but this was about over a year ago. And they were talking about the lack of representation of people of color in the digital world, especially with sports. Specifically, this article had to do with sports and how in newsrooms overall, people of color are underrepresented. But in the digital platform, we're even more so, right? It's significantly, uh, it was staggering how little, how few um, departments in the digital world have people of color. And it got me thinking, right? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'm tripping. You know what I'm saying? Maybe I'm sensitive about the subject. So I called a few of my friends over the course of the past two weeks. None of them know each other, right? And they're from different parts of the nation, but they all either at one point or currently work 
on uh, social media in the digital platform of different websites, some sports, some news. So, you know, I, I checked with them and I was like, yo, you know, am I tripping? Am I, am I just being, you know, touch sensitive about this? Is this just a nerve to me? And each one was like, nah, I felt the same way. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, yo, we got to we got to really think about this right now. You know what I'm saying? Because it's not just Kendrick. You know, Kendrick is the new kind of the new phase, the new kind of buzz going on right now. But a few months ago, everything was bad and bougie, right? Everything on the Twitter timeline from teams and different blogs was, oh, this is bad and bougie. Half them Bamas probably didn't even know what bougie meant. You understand? And, you know, before that, last year, it was views from the six. Hell, Beyonce. I remember seeing memes like get information, you understand, eliminate. I'm just thinking, yo, what's going on? Because look, white artists make dope music too. You feel me? Like, I haven't seen any Adele memes from my favorite sports websites or teams. And who doesn't like Adele? Ed Sheeran has got damn near like the most popular song in the world right now. There are, I haven't seen one. Ed Sheeran meme, you understand, during these playoffs. So it's clear it is a conscious decision to target, to appeal to people of this culture, you understand? And look, hip-hop, that's one of the beautiful things about living in this day and age, you know what I'm saying? Anybody, hip-hop is for everybody, you know what I'm saying? Kendrick didn't make that album just for black folk, you know what I mean? So... Not, it's not like we're taking claim of Kendrick, like he's just ours. No, 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 that's not my point. So if if it sounds like that's the, what I'm trying to say, I apologize. I'm not articulating it as well as I need to be. But just think of it like this. Clearly, you understand, like I said, there are no Adele, there are no Justin Timberlakes, there are no, you know, Katy Perry memes right now, currently during the NBA playoffs. And despite all those people making dope music, Ed Sheeran, all these people making really good music, popular music that people like, we're getting Kendrick and Migos and Beyonce and Drake. It's clear that there is a target on a specific group of people, a, a specific culture of people who listen to this type of music. They are targeting the us to generate more clicks, to generate more revenue, to generate more buzz, and that's fine. You know what I mean? This business, that I'm, that's perfectly fine. I have no problem with that. But that same energy, right, that same effort, that same amount of vigor that you use to target an audience, why can't we use that same energy, that same effort to target those same people for our workplaces? You know what I mean? I'm talking, like I said, I talked to a few of my friends who work on uh, different digital platforms and different digital um, media outlets. And some of the stories they would tell me about, yo, I actually, I had to kick and scream for us not to go ahead with a certain type of campaign or a certain tweet. Like, we all have blind spots. Look at what happened with Pepsi. You know, had there just been a little bit more people of color, they'd be like, nah, Slim, this ain't really a good idea. And I'm not thinking people are doing this because they're malicious and intent. Like I said, we all have blind spots. But if we can't 
use the same energy in targeting an audience to generate clicks, if we can't use that same energy to target that same audience to improve our workplace, Slim, like we can peep that. And now it looks like you're just trying to get over on this. Now it looks like you're playing this. You know what I mean? Like you only want to, you only want to get down when it's going to affect your bottom line. You don't want to get down because, hey, let's give these people some jobs. And I, and it, it really bothered me. You understand? It really, it really got me thinking. Like, yo, I really don't like what's going on here. And again, like I said, I don't think it's done purposely. I don't think it's done on purpose. And like I said, I think many people just have blind spots. I give you a perfect example. At my last job, you know, my guy, good friend, Brian Jackson, he was on the first episode, matter of fact. He was uh, an intern coordinator, you know what I mean, when we first started out, both of us. And throughout his time there, you know, B. Jackson went to Howard. So we would have a large you know, intern crop from Howard in our field specifically. But I think anybody listening understands just how important, just how significant an internship is. You know what I mean? It's your first step. It's your first foray into the field that you are interested in pursuing. You know what I mean? So it's quite beneficial for all parties involved. So when BJAX was the intern coordinator, we would have all these different people. So not just from Howard, we would get people from Maryland and Georgetown and GW, but we also would get people from state. I'm sorry, Virginia state. You know what I mean? Shout out to the Trojans. You know, we would get people from Bowie state, Morgan state, and we would have a large diverse group of interns and the best would then get freelance gigs and then turn into PAs or editors or whatever. And again, don't mistake this from me saying we just need to hire more black folk. You know what I mean? That's not what I'm saying at all. Don't just give out jobs. We don't want just handouts. Like let the best candidate, let the best person win. You know what I mean? That's that's ultimately what we want. But if you're not going, if you're not applying that same amount of effort into looking for us for employment as you are for looking for us, to get your clicks, that's when it's not adding up. You understand? Like, hear me when I say this. We don't want handouts. Don't just give us jobs to fulfill a quota. But use that same energy that you use, that you're clearly using to get our get us to click on your article or to retweet your meme. Use that same energy to get us to actually help your product. You know what I mean? Because you clearly understand that there is a benefit to the culture. But when you are just jumping on to get retweets, but you're not trying to jump on to give out jobs to help improve your workplace, that's where the problem lies. And I had to get that off my chest, man, because I swear, if I see another, if I see the damn Utah Jazz tweet out another Kendrick Lamar meme, I'm going to break something because, you know, damn well, there may be one brother, maybe one, but it's not enough. Ladies and gentlemen, that's my time on the quarterly report for this week. Thank you so much for listening in. 
As always, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Armon, A-R-M-O-N underscore Lee, L-E-E. Also, follow the show. We're at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. Also, subscribe to the podcast. We're on iTunes. All you got to do is do a search for Quarterly. My show will pop up. Click on the icon and subscribe. Also, while you're there, rate and review. Rate and review. Let me know what you think about the show. Good, bad, or everything in between. All of that would be appreciated. Again, I'm Armand Lee, and I'll see you next week on the Quarterly Report.